0: Thanks for listening to the Downtown Community Church Podcast. My name's William, and I'm the Executive Director here at DCC. DCC is located in downtown Tallahassee, and our heart is to reach the city through loving God, making disciples, and being great neighbors. We recently launched a new building campaign called Building Opportunities. Over the years, we've seen God do some incredible things, and we're excited about this next step we're taking as a church. To learn more about the building campaign and to see how you can be a part visit downtowncommunitychurch.com. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you enjoy this week's sermon. We are in the book of Nehemiah. We're in the book of Nehemiah. Um, if you've been traveling with us this summer, then you know this, but we we're in the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is an Old Testament book, and Nehemiah is all about a guy who essentially built a wall. Now, We talked about this week after week that there's nothing unbelievable about a guy who built a wall. It's like, man, I'm so glad I got up for that this morning. You know, next summer we're going to talk about a guy who dug a ditch. And the week after that, you know, we're going to talk about a guy who put new windows in a house. You know, riveting, compelling stuff. But what was interesting about Nehemiah was the wall wasn't simply a wall the wall represented something in fact the wall though nothing's expressly spiritual about it had incredibly spiritual connotations that this was kind of the reinstatement of the nation of Israel and their relationship with God because throughout the history of the Old Testament God had been faithful and oftentimes when God was unfaithful the people would be faithful but as that happened And the people were faithful to God and God was faithful to the people. The people would oftentimes forget that they needed God. And so what they would do is they would turn and they would essentially act like they were God. They wouldn't listen to God. They would think that they knew better than God. And they would rebel against God. And time after time that they did that, there would be consequences to their actions. And not because God's mad, not because God's hated them. Because God wanted them to know and God cared about them so deeply that he wasn't just going to go let them do what was bad for themselves. That eventually, like every parent... If your kid misbehaves, not because you hate your kid, but because you love your kid, you are going to allow your kid to be disciplined. And so the nation of Israel essentially sent about 70 years in exile and time out. After prophet, after prophet, after prophet, after God said, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, there's going to be consequences. And when they went into exile, the entire city of Jerusalem, including the walls, had been destroyed. Well, about 70 years later, all of a sudden, there's a guy named King Cyrus. He was the Persian king at the time, said, everybody can go back. Lots of people went back. Over about the course of 90 years, the nation of Israel tried to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. But they couldn't rebuild the wall until God called a fella by the name of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah, as we read in the first six chapters, goes in and rebuilds the wall over a period of about 52 days. And what we pick up now is is, kind of on the back half, post-wall building, and Nehemiah gets the entire group together, and they basically have a big rededication ceremony. Now, we're going to drop in. Rashad talked last week, by the way. If you were here last week, if you weren't here last week, I would say go back and listen to the podcast from last week. My good friend, Rashad Thomas, one of my mentors, was my roommate for a while. He, He spoke, and he just does a fantastic job. But Rashad talked about kind of the beginning of this ceremony, and we're going to drop in right in the middle of what happens in the middle of this ceremony of rededicating the people to God. Now, before we read, let me tell you why this Sunday specifically is so important. Because almost all of us have been at some place in our life, at some point in our life, a time that we felt like we needed to revitalize, we needed to reshape, we needed to revamp, or perhaps we needed to return to a relationship with God. As I sit down with people from time to time and you know, people want to talk to me uh, you know, because uh, they're pastor and most times when people want to talk to me it's not, man, life is going so good I just wanted to meet with you and tell you about how good my life is. Usually when people want to meet it's let me tell you all the things that are going on let me tell you all the things that are going wrong let me tell you I need help, I need help, I need help and I love that part. Let me, let me just tell you, I have sat over and over with people with friends, with people in my family who have sat down and said I wish I could get back to where I was. When I was younger, a couple years ago, a season of life ago, whatever it is, I wish I could get back to where I was in terms of my relationship with God. Or, for, for some of you, again, you're new here. You're new to this whole God and Christianity thing. And you see all of these people that have what they would con- consider a title, a relationship with God, which you don't even know what that looks like, or you don't even know what that means, because how do you have a relationship with God you can't even see? Just kind of all bizarre and weird. But as you look across the spectrum of your life, you look across the spectrum of faith, you know and you see that people have what you don't have, and you don't even know how to start into that. And today, we're going to talk about the essential building block, the essential building block to coming back to a faith in God or coming back to a relationship with God that you wish was where it was because when you were younger or a couple years ago or a couple kids ago or a couple jobs ago or a couple cities ago or a couple semesters ago, you felt like you had intimacy and a relationship with God and you want it back. And here's the good thing. That is exactly what's happening with the nation of Israel. They desperately wanted the relationship with God that their fathers and forefathers had. They desperately wanted the intimacy. They desperately wanted the blessing. They desperately wanted all the things that came along with the relationship with God that their fathers and forefathers once had. And so the action that they do today is simple. And we're going to talk about it. I'm just going to give you the action, then we're going to read all the verses. It was simple. It was confession. 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 Now Let me just pause for a second and say this. We're in a, this is a non-denominational church, by the way. We're a non-denominational Protestant church, and in the Protestant church specifically, one of the things that's got kind of a stigma about it is confession. Confession. Because we have Catholic friends and Catholic brothers and sisters who we know, they do a lot of confession, but in the Protestant church, we don't talk about it a lot, so let me just tell you. Part of what I hope for you to understand today is the absolute essential nature of confession in the daily relationship with God, if you are a Christian. In fact, we're going to, this is kind of foreshadowing or telling you what's coming out of the future, towards the end of the, about November, December, we're actually going to spend three weeks, and we're going to do a series called The Art of Confession, because we think this is so, so absolutely critical. So this is kind of like a preview for what's coming up. So, if you've got your Bible, you can open up to Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 9. Nehemiah chapter 9. Now again, they're in the middle of this big ceremony, trying to reinstate a relationship with God that was once there. Verse 9, or chapter 9, verse 1. Now on the 24th day of the month of the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and sackcloth and with earth on their heads. Now, that might sound a little bit weird. They're not like doing handstands with earth on their heads. But essentially what they're doing is they're kind of going through this process and period of mourning, essentially saying, God, we're sorry. And so what they would do oftentimes in their day, when they would go through any type of, you know, an event, especially when it was a tragic event, if somebody would die, if there was grief, if there was was mourning, whatever it was, they would get themselves and they would be in sackcloth, they would be in ashes, and they would kind of, you know, rub dirt all over themselves. And it was this sense of, God, we are humbling ourselves God we are broken people and God we want to talk to you so this is what happens next and the Israelites separated themselves from all the foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and their iniquities of their fathers and they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day and for another quarter of the day quarter of it they made confessions and worshiped the Lord their God. So this is kind of the brief overview of what we're about to read about. He says, okay, so all the people got together. And as all the people got together, they confessed their sins. As all the people got together, they read from the book of the law, which was the Old Testament. And as they read from the book of the law and as they confessed their sins, it was this process of healing that we're going to find out about. Now, what we're going to discover as we read these next several verses is their confession was very simple. It was God, you're great, and we're not. God, you're great, God, you're faithful, God, you are amazing, God, you are loving, and God, we're not. When you were loving, when you were faithful, we were unloving, we were unfaithful. When you were just merciful to us, we were unmerciful to you. When you would deliver us, we would turn our back on you. And what we're going to find out at the end of this is that that is for a very, very important and specific reason. But let's read through a up all these verses. It talks about who was gathered there in the next couple of verses. Verse 6. He says, "You are the Lord; you alone have made heaven, the heavens of heavens, with all their hosts, and the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. And you preserve all of them. The host of heavens worships you. You are the Lord, the God of Abram, and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you, and made the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Gergesites." And you have kept the promise, for you are righteous. In other words, he says, God, if, you, if you're not familiar with the Bible, this is maybe a little bit new. He says, God, there was a time, there was a time when we weren't a people. There was a time when we were just people who walked around the land like everybody else. And you started with this guy, Abram. And for no righteousness, for no, nothing that Abram had done, or Abram at the time, but who became Abraham. And Father Abraham had many, and many sons had father. And I am, and so are... Very good. Just, you know, clap for yourself. Sunday school sticker board. So there was a guy named Abraham, and God decided that he was going to do something on planet Earth through this family of Abraham. And God just decided to bless, and God decided to work, and God decided to move, and God was faithful. And not just faithful, he was just incredibly generous to Abraham. And he told Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. In fact, I'm going to make your family a great nation, and I'm going to give them all the land of all these people because I want your family to represent me. Because... I want the entire world to know that I am the one true living God. The reason that I am making you a great family is not just because I like your family more than other families. It's because I am choosing to use your family to show myself to all of the other families on planet Earth. And this is how the story would unfold. And you saw the affliction of the fathers in Egypt and heard their cry at the Red Sea. It performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants and all the people of the land. For you knew that they acted arrogantly among the fathers. And you made a name for yourself as it is to this day. In other words, and you made a name. You wanted everyone to know who you are. Verse 11. And you divided the sea before them. So they went through the midst of the sea on dry land. And you cast the pursuers into the depths. And then by a pillar of cloud, you led them in the day. And by a pillar of fire on night, to light for them which way they should go. You came down from Mount Sinai, and you spoke from heaven and gave them the right rules and true laws and good statutes and commandments. And you made known to them the holy Sabbath and commanded them commandments and statutes and laws by Moses, your servant. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought water to them for the rock of their thirst. And you told them to go in and possess the land that you had sworn to give them. And so here's how this kind of played out as it went forward with Abraham. That God, the people grew into a nation. The nation became enslaved. You deliver these people. In fact, there are some incredible things that happened as you delivered these people. They walked through this big sea that you just you know, parted. And when the people that were pursuing them came, you, know, you basically drowned them all. And they just went to the bottom like everybody else. God, you delivered them. And then beyond that, you provided for them. Beyond that, you gave them food. Beyond that, you gave them water. Beyond that, you gave them direction. When they were in the middle of the desert and you could just get lost and you have no clue where you're going, you said, okay, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm not going to leave you wonderless. I am going to give you direction. And here's why. Because God, God is always faithful. And God is always loving. And the problem is, is what happened with the nation of Israel is the same thing that has a tendency to happen to us. Which is that as we experience God's faithfulness, and as we experience God's goodness, as we experience God's faithfulness, and as we experience God's goodness, we begin to think it was our goodness that got us where we are. We begin to think, because we are so richly blessed by God, that we no longer have a need for God that perhaps it was because we're smart. Perhaps it's because we're good people. Perhaps it's because we work really hard. Perhaps it's because I went to school. Perhaps it's because I grew up and did all the right things and didn't do a bunch of the wrong things. Perhaps perhaps because I'm a a good person and I work hard and I'm smart, that I am where I am and I have been where I've been. And, And the nation of Israel would look at God and they would look at all the things that God would have done for them and led them. And they'd say, thanks. But we got it from here. You know, let me kind of pause and, and tell you, just like on a day-to-day as Christians especially, how, how we deal with this. This is why we question God when things go wrong, but take, credits when, take credit when things go well. This is why for most of us, if you don't have a job, and you had a relationship when the relationship ended, or perhaps you know you had a plan for your life and all of a sudden that plan is just massively disrupted for whatever reason. Our first tendency is to say, God, why? God, how could you allow me to go through this? God, how could you allow me to lose my job? God, how could you allow me to lose this relationship? God, how could you allow this person to get sick? We say, God, why, God, why, God, why, God, how, God, how, God, how, how could you do this to me? Why would you do this to me? But when I find a girl and when I get a sweet job, I'm like, I am the man. You know? It's like, I've always thought I was good looking. And this is just confirmation, you know. I've been working out a lot lately. And so I thought that perhaps that would add up to some things. And I'm glad that finally added up to some things. Because she's smoking hot. And I'm, you know, getting smoking hot. But I'm on my way to that point in life. And I'm just kind of the man. And that's why. Or, man, I've been killing it at work. I've been putting in all these extra hours. I've been working incredibly hard. And let me just tell you, I've been I've been sucking up my boss. He tells the worst jokes. I laugh at every single one of him. And finally, all those fake laughs and fake smiles. And yes, ma'ams. And no, ma'ams. And yes sir and no sirs, and extra hours. Finally, I earned my way to the top. And when it goes well, we're like, I am the man. And when it goes poorly, we're like, God, why in the world? And in fact, what was interesting is in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses, as the nation of Israel is going out of the desert into the promised land, and Moses is about to die. He knows he's about to die. The entire book of Deuteronomy is singled around this one idea, do not forget the Lord your God. That Moses had the wisdom as being a very old man seeing the nation of Israel for decades and decades, watering 40 years through the desert. And as they're about to go in, Moses pauses and says, there's going to come a time when you're going to go into the land and it's going to be flowing with milk, it's going to be flowing with honey, you're going to have more than you want to eat, you're going to have bigger houses that you need, and you're going to be tempted to think that it's by your own good works. But when you go into the land, do not forget the Lord Your God. And that is still as much of a temptation today as it was then. But confession reminds us of our sinfulness and God's faithfulness even when things are going well. That if we don't take time to pause and to stop and say, God, I need to remember, it's good for my soul to remember that you are faithful and I am not faithful. That though things might be going well right now, you still are God and I still am wholly insufficient compared to a sufficient God. So he continues on. But, verse verse 16, they and our fathers acted presumptuously and stiffened their neck. It did not obey your commandments. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. But they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return the, the sla- their slavery in Egypt. But you were a God ready to forgive and gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and did not forsake them even. When they had made for themselves a golden calf, even when they had gotten to the point where they just decided, you know what, we're going to do, we want our own God, we want to worship a different God, so we're going to pile all of our resources together, make our own little golden calf, and said, this is our God who brought you up out of Egypt, and have committed great blasphemies. You and your great mercies did not forsake them in the wilderness. The, The pillar of cloud to lead them in the way did not depart from them by day, nor the pillar of fire by night to light for them. The way, by they, they, the way by which they should go. Now, he, 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 here's the beautiful news. Because I know inevitably, some of us in here, as you walked in this morning, I mean, we, we put on some nice clothes and got a good smile and stuff. But, but, but sometimes for some of us, well, I'm, I'm sure this morning for some of us, as you walked in, you know that deep down there is like this spiritual chasm that's happened in your life and you feel dry. And most of the time it's because we've now been so disobedient to God or we've wandered away from God to the point where we sit there and wonder, could God even still love us? And here's why this is so beautiful, the way that they did confession. Because it, was it wasn't simply sim- them saying, God, I suck, I suck, I suck, or I'm not good, I'm not good, I'm not sorry if there's kids in the room. Okay, so, uh, you know, I'm not as good as perhaps I ought to be, you know, in a, in, a, in a very, you know, clean way. You know, but God, I am sinful. It wasn't just simply saying that they are sinful. It was them saying, God, I am sinful, but you are faithful. Sometimes confession for us can turn into a big, depressive party sometimes confession for us is just us over and over and over wallowing in our insufficiencies and we are insufficient that's never the question but the answer is that we serve a God who is faithful and is sufficient you see If all we do is talk about how not good we are, we miss the point. Because the point isn't for us to feel bad about ourselves. The point is for us to remember our position in the relationship and that God is God and we are not. That God is faithful, we are unfaithful. That God is holy and pure and perfect and I am imperfect and impure as a person. And so if you walked in this morning And the reality is, as you're looking at it saying, I wish I could get back to where I was. I wish I could revitalize and revamp and renew the relationship with God I once had. here's the good news. God has not left you in the same way that God saw the nation of Egypt as they wandered through the, the nation of Israel, as they wandered through the desert, as they didn't know where they were going, as they were walking in this almost separation from God because of their disobedience. It would be 40 years before they went in, and they made a calf because they decided they didn't want to serve God anymore. God was still Faithful to them, regardless of their unfaithfulness to Him. And God is still faithful to you, still loves you, still cares about you, and still died for your sins, regardless of your and my unfaithfulness to Him. So they continue on with this story of what happened. On from verse 22 and and so on, he he, he goes through how it happened with their fathers, how God sent prophet after prophet after prophet to basically say, hey, if you don't shape up, if you don't shape up again, it's not because I hate you, it's not because I don't love you. In fact, it's because I love you that I'm going to send a prophet to tell you you need to tighten up or there's going to be consequences. So skipping down to verse 30, so for many years you bore with them and warned them by your spirit through your prophet's yet they would not give ear. Therefore, you gave them into the hands of the people of the land. Nevertheless, in your great mercies, you did not make an end of them or forsake them, because again, he is a good, faithful, and gracious God, for you are a gracious and merciful God. Now therefore, so in view of all that, in view of the relational dynamic that's happened, our God, the great, the mighty, and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love let not all the hardships seem little to you that have come upon us. In other words, we have gone through some stuff here lately. Our kings, our princes, our priests, our prophets, our fathers, and all your people since the time of the kings of Assyria until this day. Yet, and this is like the summary verse of the entire chapter 9. Yet, you have been righteous in all that has come upon us, for you have dealt faithfully, and we have acted wickedly. No, he says, God, please don't forget us, because here's what we know. You've been faithful in spite of our wickedness. You've been faithful in spite of our wickedness. You've been good in spite of our obedience or our disobedience. So, God, don't forget us today. Now, let me tell you why this is so powerful and so incredibly meaningful. This is the basic position of the gospel. To come before God on coming to the realization that, God, I am not sufficient. Coming to the realization that, God, I'm not good enough. Coming to the God with the realization that, God, I am a sinful person. I am an insufficient person. I am an unholy person. At the core of who I am is is a sinful, selfish person. And here's the good news. God doesn't see that and hate you for it. God sees that and sent his son to die for that very purpose. But the problem is, is that we as Christians oftentimes feel like we need to project a level of holiness. Oftentimes feel like we need to project a level of perfection so that no one understands that we are sinful. When the gospel declares and proclaims that we are wholly sinful, and it's because of God's good, great love and mercies, not because of our works, that we are forgiven sinners. You see, here's the the great thing. If you're at all interested, thinking about Christianity, thinking about God, this is the differentiating factor between many religions and Christianity. It's this idea that we are sinful, and because I am sinful, I cannot find myself in a presence of holy, pure, and perfect God, because God's holy, God's pure, God's perfect, God's just, God's loving, God's faithful. And as much as I work and as much as I try, I can't work my way into God's good graces. But when Jesus came, when God sent his one and only son to die on the cross for us, it would be for everyone, as Jesus would say, who knew they were sick he didn't come for the healthy. He came for the people that knew that they were sinful. He came to people that confession was almost like a part of their life because they knew that I am a sinful, unholy, unperfect person. The, the, the tragedy is we think once we have that initial decision to follow Jesus that we don't need to come before God and realize that we're sinners anymore and consequently project an air of holiness, and then consequently have a life that oftentimes look nothing like God. And for you, if you're in here again, you're not a Christian investigating this whole thing. Isn't it true that for you, maybe the reason that you don't like Christians is because Christians oftentimes think that they're perfect and they don't seem like they have confessed anything. They don't even seem like they've acknowledged that they're sinful in the last 10 years. They walk around on their high horse feeling like they're holier than you are. When the truth is, we are just as wretched and sinful. And we try to live to a standard of holiness. We try to be obedient to God and to the Word of God. But the truth is, we are sinful people. And sometimes, if we would just be honest about that with other people and with God then our relationship with God would perhaps grow more than if we projected about God. So here's kind of where we're thinking and landing along this thing. For many of us, here's the reality. For many of us, we read our Bible and we pray, or maybe for some of us, we read our Bible and we pray. But it's been a long time since we confessed our sins to God. And then I'm talking about going through and saying, okay, God, this is what happened last night, and this is what happened yesterday at about 8 p.m., and about 7 p.m., and about 6.45 p.m., you know, and then again at, you know, 12, you know, and then 9.30 in the morning, I kind of got upset, and then 8 o'clock, let me just go through my list, I mean, you can do that, but, but, but here's the basic idea, that you go through, and at some point, you basically say, God, I understand, God, I can think of categories of my life that are sinful. God, I just know, and I need to confess right now, I need to spend some time on my knees telling you that I know that I am insufficient. And the reason isn't because God wants to beat us down again like a dog and say, you, 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 bad person. It's because if we don't do that, we forget that we aren't God and start to act like God and start to believe that we don't need God. So if you're in the boat that things are going well, this is so absolutely critical for you and critical for me because we are perfectly positioned because of how your life is going, because of how your relationship with God is going, because of perhaps the momentum of all kinds of different things in your life to forget God. So please, 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 in the middle of the blessing of God, do not forget to confess your sins before God or else you will forget that you aren't God. And if you're at the point where you've walked away and you wish you could get back, you wish you could reinstate, you wish you could take a second and just be back to where you were, here's the thing, God has never left you. God is faithful to you. God will always be with you. And, God will use this season as you come before Him to remind you that His faithfulness is not dependent on your Faithfulness, but his love for you is there no matter what. Now, if you're in here, you're not a Christian, checking this whole thing out, let me tell you. This is the almost irreducible minimum of our faith. It's this genuine and simple belief that I can't earn my way into God's good graces. I can't good person my way. I can't help other people my way. I can't church attend my way into God's good graces. But at the center of my faith, at the center of our belief in Jesus, is not simply that a dead guy, that that God came to the earth and a dead guy rose from the grave. It's that all that happened because I can't earn my way into God's good graces. And going through and realizing our sinfulness is the first step of realizing that maybe I do, in fact, need a Savior to put me in a right standing with God. So here's how we're going to end our service today. Usually we end and I I kind of pray and then I say amen and we let everybody go. Well, we wanted to do a couple songs because what I know inevitably happens at the end of you know most services is you you know think about it. Man, that was good, and maybe, hopefully you took some notes or you're know, thinking about some stuff, and then you get in the parking lot, right, and somebody cuts you off, and you're like, you jerk! I thought you were a Christian, you know. And then you get to the line, and you're at Merv's, and it's you know way overcrowded, and you're like, oh, I hate people, you know. And then like ten minutes later, you know, Monday, you're just you know not really a Christian even anymore. So hopefully, hopefully that's not true. But you know, yeah, I know how it is. You know, life happens, and you get out and you get busy and all that stuff. So here's what here's what we wanted to do. We just thought it would be so appropriate to create some space that before you go out and you get bombarded by the text and you get bombarded by emails and life that's going to happen before you go out and it's where are we going to go to lunch or where are we going to go to brunch because you got to the early crowd, you know, before you go out and, and life happens, here's what we want to do. We just wanted to create some space for you to spend some time before God because Oftentimes at church, what we do is tell you about God, tell you about God, tell you about God. So this is how you should sing about God. But We just want for the next 10 minutes or so to simply create some space for you. If you want to sing, sing. If you want to pray, pray. If you want to stand up, stand up. If you want to sit down, sit down. If you want to like get on your face and just like cry, hey, do you. We're not going to judge you. Somebody might judge you. We're not going to judge you. We're going to judge them for judging you. So there you go. But whatever you want to do, seriously, what we want to do is simply create space for you to spend time with God, confessing, going for God and saying God I know that you are faithful I know that you are good I know that you are loving I know that you are just I know that I am sinful and God I need to spend some time on my face before you confessing that I have a tendency to think that I don't need you and that I am God and I haven't confessed to you perhaps I haven't talked about my sinfulness to you perhaps since I first became a Christian. But I need to spend some time this morning before you being reminded of the love that you have for me in spite of my obedience or my disobedience. And let me just tell you, when you do that, when you do that, you position yourself to remember that we serve a great and a loving God who loves us each individually, who sent his son to die for us each individually. And when you know that you have that God on your side, there is nothing that anybody can do to take that relationship away from you. And where you wish you were, Where you used to be doesn't matter because you realize that God's been there the whole time and you were sinful even when you thought you were great. And you were great in the eyes of God because you're you even though you're sinful. In fact, you're so loved that he sent his son to die for you. So let's pray together.